Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. On the show today, we'll be talking to the host of With Friends Like These, Anna Marie Cox, about her trip to the conservative political action conference known as CPAC. She thought it was just a dream, John, but then when she woke up, there was sand in her bed. <laughs> Guys, don't forget to sign up for What a Day. What a Day. We've been getting the drafts. Yeah. It's a great newsletter. So it's our newsletter that we... Think and Hope is launching next week. It's out of beta. It's releasing on time. Bunch of betas reading it right now. <laughs> no big deal. But That's it's um, we're very excited about this. So sign up for the newsletter, guys, if you haven't already. Everyone else is doing it. You're going to be. It's just must like the cash app. The numbers are pretty big. <laughs> Jesus, it's the fact. Anyway, we hope you enjoy it. Speaking of love, it how is love it or leave it? We had a fantastic love it or leave it in Sacramento with Mayor Michael Tubbs, friend of the pod, mm. uh, Jenny Yang, love comedian, and Alicia Garza, who is one of the uh, co-creators of Black Lives Matter. It was a surprisingly uplifting show, even though we were covering some dark stuff. And look, we talked about Black Panther. We talked about the need for a gay superhero. And there's a bit of a dispute as to whether or not people like James Baldwin and everyday heroes count. And they don't because James Baldwin might have been great, but he didn't shoot laser beams out of his eyes. Hmm. You know what I mean? So we had some of that discussion come here now. Unassailable point. <laughs> Tommy? You know, one of the things I love about Pod Save the World, the fantastic show I host on a weekly basis, is that there's some stuff I know about already, and then sometimes I have to dig into an issue that I knew nothing about, and I learn a ton, and it blows my mind. This is, is it, one of those examples. It's about <laughs> genes? <laughs> it's about denim. It's about types of denim. It was about the raft of corruption scandals that BB Netanyahu that is facing. That guy is in trouble. From bribes to stuff involving submarines. It is unfathomable how much trouble he's in, his family is in, and what it could mean politically. Unfortunately, there's not a great silver lining for what it could mean politically. The Israeli government continues to sort of move to the right in a way that is uh, I don't think good for Israel. I don't think it's good for U.S. interests. It's certainly not good for the peace process. But listen to the episode. Natan Gutman fills us in on everything happening over there. Uh, and it's funny about it, so check it out. Man, the bribing of the press to try to get the good press coverage. No one told the- me that was an option, John, when I was a spokesperson. <laughs> yeah, Trump, Trump's like, this recipe is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot from this episode, and I also was listening to it thinking, like, if there wasn't a President Trump, this might be one of the bigger stories in the, in world. the world in international yeah. politics right and, now. And the parallels between BB's response and his party's response and the way it broke down on partisan lines in, in Israel is so similar to the U.S., so there's a lot we can learn. Yeah. Okay, let's get to the news. Uh, I want to talk about the student movement for gun safety. And let's start with some brand new poll numbers from CNN. Back in October, after the mass shooting in Las Vegas, 52% of the American people said they supported stricter gun laws. That number is now 70%. It is the highest level since December of 1993, after the gun control legislation known as the Brady Bill was signed into law by Bill Clinton. Among people in gun-owning households, I thought this was an interesting number, 57% 57% want stricter gun laws. Amazing. 63% support a ban on high-capacity ammo magazines. That's up from 54% in October. And 57% support a ban on the manufacture, sale, and possession of semi-automatic weapons, such as the AR-15. That is up from 49% in October. 
Guys, we did not see these numbers move after Vegas. We haven't seen them this high in 25 years. What is going on here? Everyone wants to say that this time is different because you want it to be because you see these high school kids on TV in agony, begging the adults to do something. But these numbers bear out the fact that something is different. We have a chance here. And, you know, six in 10 Americans in the ABC poll think Congress and the president aren't doing enough to prevent mass shootings. 77% want more effective mental health screening. So, like, there is a lot of political support that could get behind something smart that Congress puts forward. So we have to get the pressure on right now. It's important to remember, right, the NRA talks about their 5 million members or their 7 million members or whatever the number is. It's inflated. But regardless, that's still a tiny subset of the whatever, 70 to 80 million gun-owning households in the country. And the vast majority of those people who are not signed up for what the NRA is or is becoming aren't on board for the kind of extremist maximalist position that the NRA has taken. Uh, So I think that's a reason for hope. I think the debate is changing. I don't know why, you know, other, the the only thing you can point to is the kids because they've kept uh, it in the news. They've kept it in the news. Paul, I mean, they kept about issues. Look, poll numbers jump all over the place. No one should get like overly excited about this. But what it goes to show is the poll numbers haven't moved after other mass shootings as much. They moved a little bit after Sandy Hook and then (laughs) faded away. But they move, poll numbers move, and public opinion moves when people go out there and make the argument and keep things in the news, yeah. and people protest, and people go to the streets, and people, you know, boycott things. Like, sometimes, and I think this is a good lesson for Democratic politicians, too, is because sometimes when you believe that nothing can happen legislatively, or that the politics are too tough, you're just like, well, I might as well not talk about this, because mm-hmm. if I talk about it, it's like pushing a boulder up a hill anyway. Well, these kids don't give a fuck about that. They also have something that... <laughs> Democratic politicians have not been able to wrest the microphone away from mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Only That's right. protests have, right? If you look at what has been effective over the past two years, it's been the women's marches. It has been protests at the airport. It has been these kids. Mm-hmm. So one lesson here is in a presidency defined by television, yeah. protest is an effective way to make your point over the long haul, which is why I think kids have been more effective in making this argument than even people that are committed to this issue, like Chris Murphy and other senators, because they don't have the ability to keep the attention of the media. They don't. And you know what? The NRA knows that they're losing. And you know how you know that? Because they're sending out Dana Loesch and Wayne LaPierre to try to make the argument about the media. They're saying the mainstream media loves mass shootings. They're doing what Trump does, which is try to make it about elites and fake news and liberalism. It's a garbage, disgusting, disgraceful thing to say about the press, but we shouldn't get chased down that rabbit hole. We should keep talking about the need for common sense gun safety laws because the data shows that if there are fewer guns out there, fewer people get shot. It sounds pretty simple, but people dispute this all the time. Yeah, well, let's go to that point. The, the other enemy they have now is Broward County Sheriff Scott Israel. Blue Lives Matter, John. Uh, whose department had received multiple calls about the shooter and whose deputy, Scott Peterson, resigned after the revelation that he chose not to enter the school while the shooter was inside. Our president this morning said he'd have run in there even without a gun. It just seems like it would have been difficult with like, the bone spurs. But. Hey, Kindergarten Cop was a movie, okay? There was an actual cop there with a gun who didn't do anything because it's hard and scary and terrifying in these situations. The idea that we should arm teachers now as a panacea is so... I can't believe we're well, the Republicans, debating it. They want to both sides this thing, and they want to say... Democrats are being so soft on this sheriff now. And blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. No, there should be a full investigation of what the fuck happened in that Absolutely. sheriff's office. And anyone who was responsible or who didn't do their job, what they were supposed to be doing, obviously should be punished. And they should be asking themselves, instead of just figuring out exactly who to blame, they should figure, what the fuck 
do we need to do in the Broward County Sheriff's Office so that next time you get multiple calls about someone, this never happens again? Yeah, of course. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about fucking gun laws, too. Yeah, because if the, kid, if the kid had a knife, <laughs> we wouldn't have had that many yep. lives lost. If the kid had maybe just a handgun, we wouldn't have had that many lives lost. So, like, give me a fucking break. Stop it. We're we, not going to we – this be, isn't some issue we're now going to have to make it about, you know, all about the Broward County Sheriff. We should just be confident in our position. Yeah. It seems like there were way too many red flags. It seems like they screwed up a bunch. That guy didn't go in. It yeah. seems like the law, law enforcement screwed up in stopping this at every single step of the way. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it seems pretty clear that that happened. What does that have to do with having millions yeah. and millions of AR-15s in, in circulation in reach of troubled kids that exist in 100% of places in America every Day. Do you know how many armed security guards there were in the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas and nothing happened yeah, and they were all trying to respond to it? That's bullshit. Uh, the, the hypocrisy of every time there is an unarmed African-American shot, uh, we, we chant Blue Lives Matter. And in this instance, because this guy came out and the sheriff came out and opposed the NRA's position, they are now pounding him. It is notable. Yeah. That said, yes, we should figure out what the hell went wrong and figure it out. But we should, at, at a federal level and even at a state level, we should focus on building the movement and infrastructure needed to pass gun control it's laws. A, also, it's like the NRA can make their point that, that we need better mental health screening, even though they've, they've never supported the background checks and what have you. They can make the point that this should have been stopped by this sheriff's department. Okay. How high do we want those stakes to be? Right? It's, right. it's now we have now said... Okay, it is now on local law enforcement to find these kids. If they don't, they don't make a bomb threat anymore. They don't show up at school with a knife. No, no, no. They can kill dozens of people. That is the stakes we are putting on every single police department in the country. Yeah, and it's uh, and it's completely unnecessary. So it's not just poll numbers that are moving. More than a dozen companies, most of the rental car companies, Delta, United, have now cut ties with the NRA, saying they would end the partnership programs where they offered certain discounts to NRA members. Conservatives are very upset about this, guys. Republicans are very upset. You know, they say, what if companies started boycotting Planned Parenthood? What would you do? And also, you know, some analyst reporters have questioned this. I saw Andrew Kaczynski, who's an excellent reporter on CNN, say, I don't know if this will have the intended effect those on the left want. The campaign is to make the NRA toxic to corporations, but it will also probably harden the views of millions of law-abiding gun owners who see the NRA as their voice. You seem pretty hardened, those views. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, like, it's a reflection of the fact that in 2016, people care about corporate values. And I personally think that that's a good thing. Corporations as soulless money vacuums hasn't necessarily worked out for us <laughs> over time. I, there may be instances where there's a boycott that I don't love, but like this is just a reflection of where consumers are. And it's also, I think, it's useful to show the NRA isn't all powerful and to be able to pick these corporations off one by one and get them to walk away from it. And funny to watch, you know, huffy conservatives who mock Democrats for being snowflakes uh, get upset that they have to switch from United to Delta and give me a break. <laughs> also, it's about what the NRA has turned into, too. It is not a... It's not a gun fellowship group, as Dana <laughs> yeah. Loesch called it on Twitter. They, they, right. <laughs> it is. Um, look at their fucking ads. Go to NRA TV. They, it, they are. They are the most. Not, it's not even good to call them partisan. They're trying to incite violence. They are trying to make one half of America hate the other half of America and say to people, because those people are hate you so much and are coming after you, Hollywood liberals, Barack Obama, all the rest of them, you should probably buy some guns because, by the way, the gun manufacturers are who we really work for. Yeah. And, and that's what we want to do. That's what they are. Let's be honest about it's it. Also Why about, would you want to be associated with that if you're a company? It's also about separating the facts and substance of the debate over gun control from gun control measures. If a debate is about the facts and substance of, of gun ownership and gun control, there's quite reasonable compromises you can reach that people can have 
arsenals in their homes and continue to enjoy hunting and shooting and all the ways in which they enjoy using guns while putting in some common sense reforms. They, that, that wouldn't be seen as a defeat for them. Right. But they need to make every single act of gun control a partisan defeat. That's something that, that attacks their kind of token. That's why that's why they need to make sure AR-15s are, are kept in circulation because now it's not just about sort of the balance between freedom and responsibility. It's about this thing as a symbol of freedom. That's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is those, even those conservatives that didn't really articulate why they were bothered by the fact that the NRA was uh, losing these discounts, right? Basically yeah. the equivalent of like AAA discounts. not right. that big they a deal. They don't matter. <laughs> they don't really matter. I also love these guys, these conservatives on Twitter, like just columnists in D.C. who have the same capacity for firing guns as like I do for bobsledding, right? They don't have any <laughs> connection to this. But they want to be mad about it because it's basically saying the NRA isn't a normal group anymore, that there's a certain point at which I don't mind if, you know, this is about, you know, Planned Parenthood and has partnerships with airlines. Some conservatives groups have partnerships with with corporations. I don't have a problem with that. What this is saying is the NRA no longer deserves to be treated like a respectable organization that can have discounts and and little uh, promotions with with restaurants and what have you, because their behavior now crosses a line into something that is completely unacceptable to our society. Yeah. And that is the part that they can't accept. They go out there. They say that the media loves mass shootings. They say, you know, that I mean, it's it's absurd. They're not even a lobbying organization anymore. And their solution to the problem of 17 kids getting shot is one designed to have hundreds of thousands of more guns purchased to armed teachers. It's the maximalist cynical position. And we should just call for what it is. And also, by the way, this is also one of those dumb debates. Half the people railing about this had no idea that there were NRA discounts. Right, None yeah. of us knew. <laughs> right. Nobody knew there were NRA discounts at Hertz Rent-A-Car. And then half the NRA members had no idea there was a discount yeah. at Hertz Rent-A-Car. And now these guys are on Twitter being like, well, I guess I'll have to go to Enterprise now. <laughs> so I will never. Oh, you know what I want to also ask these conservatives about these boycotts that they've declared on Twitter? What do you keep a list? Bull fucking shit. <laughs> Two years from now, you're going to remember that you tweeted during this thing? They Give me a care. break. Nobody's going to remember any of this. If people were t- boycotting to the extent they claim to be boycotting on Twitter, the economy would grind to a halt. We'd be trading in oranges. <laughs> <laughs> Sean Hannity throwing the Keurig out the window. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so where else can we apply pressure? You know, p- people are trying to pressure Amazon, Apple TV, and other video streaming sources and platforms to stop carrying NRA TV. Great. Great. Keep doing it. Again, go watch the fucking ads with Dana Loesch and some of the other ones. They're scary as hell. And the, and where else can we apply pressure? Um, some people have talked about banks. Bank of America has said that they're going to look at their relationships with some gun manufacturers. Uh, they, they said it in the most careful corporate PR way, so who knows what will happen there. And gun mac, you know, Dan talked about this on Thursday's pod, uh, gun manufacturers themselves. I mean, the, the big enemy here is not, because the NRA ultimately is not representing gun owners. They are representing gun manufacturers. They want to try to sell more guns. And it is gun manufacturers that we should be putting pressure on and that we should try to cut off their sources of funding and all the other stuff. That's the big goal. Quick shout out to uh, Think Progress and Sleeping yeah. Giants who have done incredible work calling out these companies and starting movements to get people to pressure them. Yeah. Keep it up. Uh, let's talk about legislation. So in Florida, uh, Rick Scott wants to pass a law raising the minimum age to buy any firearm from 18 to 21, strengthen rules to keep weapons away from people with mental health problems, domestic abusers, and stalkers. Prospects of this, he is disagreeing with the legislature in Florida over a few things. Scott doesn't want a three-day waiting period. The legislature does. Scott doesn't want to arm teachers. Broke from Trump on this. The legislature does. So the plan isn't enough, but it breaks from the NRA and Trump. 
Trump and the Republican Congress, meanwhile, are most likely to consider the Corn and Murphy bill that we've talked about that Mm -hmm. gives states incentives to submit criminal conviction records to the federal background check system. Cool. Uh, Will any of this get done, guys? You know, I I don't think we know. I think the future isn't written. I I hope so. I think it is possible. I just want one point on these, uh, the arming teachers thing. Mm. I don't think there's been an issue like this in a very long time where it's one of those things where everybody stops in their tracks and goes, wait, this is crazy. What are you talking about? What do you mean armed teachers? Because it's it's like one of those things I think that can shake even hardened partisans out of their kind of whatever, their, their foxholes. People just... What do you mean? My my kid's teacher's gonna have a gun in the classroom? I think that I know, man, that polling on this for is, people is a little disconcerting. I, I am done. I, I am very skeptical. At this point, we have to be so skeptical about policy polling because I really believe that the number of people answering the phones are the kind of people that are going to take their side too. So I yeah. I just that was the one thing. The other thing just is um one sign of hope is Marco Rubio in that town hall changing his mind on the fly because Marco Rubio doesn't do anything. Unless Marco Rubio believes it's in his political interest. So I think Marco Rubio is has his finger in the wind and he hears high capacity magazines. He thinks about raising the age. He thinks about background checks. And I think his shift represents where Republicans are going to be. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that Florida is is taking some of these steps because there's an amazing piece in The New Yorker this week about the NRA's chief lobbyist in Florida. And this person is one of the most powerful individuals in the entire state of Florida, literally writing legislation for lawmakers, pushing massive contributions uh, towards independent expenditures. And Florida has become a petri dish where concealed carry or stand your ground laws are first passed, and then they're moved to different states on a state level, which is a lot easier than creating new federal laws. So if we can you know, show that the NRA is not invincible in Florida, of all places, where there is a crazy Republican legislature, I think that could benefit in ways and ripple out over time in ways that aren't totally apparent right now. Yeah. No, I am for all of these sort of like half measures, incremental measures passing. We should push for them because, you know, you build off small victories. I do think we should be like the gun safety movement should be clear on a few of the big goals that we want, you know, it's, or, or Democrats running for office, right? Sure. It's ban semi-automatic weapons, bring back the assault weapons ban, yep. universal background checks, if not uh, a gun license. Some states have, you have to get a gun license, which is an even more extensive background check and it's more stringent. And then a ban on high capacity ammo. Three things, assault weapons ban, high capacity ammo, gun licenses. And those are big significant gun measures and maybe we don't get those for 10 years but maybe we start in the states like you said maybe the states become laboratories for if we win back some of these governorships in 2018 and we win back some state legislatures and we start passing them there so i just i think we need to keep these like like a big three big couple policy initiatives as a north star here that we keep pushing for also everywhere you pass them they save lives right every time and then you You have that evidence yeah every single time that's that's happened in connecticut after sandy hook we we see the evidence Uh, you know they always point to they always point to chicago the violence in chicago the toughest gun laws well no one intellectually honest takes that seriously because the guns come from across state lines in indiana where they don't have strict gun laws we know what's going on here we know that gun control works because we're the only country with our with our economic success that deals with this problem we are alone in the world facing this. Yeah, and the NRA is not invincible. In 2016, they won 73% of the time. In 2008, they won 44% of the time when Barack Obama was elected president because they rise and fall with the general political winds too. And 
with the trends we're seeing in these suburban areas with the views on guns really dovetail nicely with places where Democrats could pick up key wins. So we should kick the shit out of them this cycle. And that's the best way we get the gun laws we want. Democrats should not be afraid of this issue. Fight it. Look at that number of gun-owning households and the number of people who want stricter gun laws. Okay. Guys, do you remember the memo that was going to change the world? I mean... The one that was going to reveal crimes worse than Watergate? I don't remember things before it. Worse than what led to the American Revolution, in the words of our friend Seb Gorka? Of course you don't. Of course you don't remember that. That was like 10 episodes ago. (laughs) Adam Schiff's counter memo is out, guys. And it is a doozy. Uh, (laughs) it, It proves without a doubt that Devin Nunes is an even dumber liar than we thought. So, just to set the scene. Remember, in October of 2016, the FBI requested surveillance on Carter Page. And Devin Nunes' central argument is that the FBI and DOJ misled the federal judge who granted the surveillance because they didn't tell the judge that the Steele dossier, some of which was used as evidence to justify the surveillance, was paid for by Democrats in the Clinton campaign. Schiff's memo produces the actual surveillance application, which explicitly notes the following, quote, the FBI speculates that Steele had been hired to find information that could be used to discredit the Trump campaign. In response to this revelation, Republicans argued, not making this up, that the line was in a footnote, which proved that the FBI was trying to conceal it. Devin Nunez doesn't read footnotes. <laughs> someone <laughs> someone go ahead I and mean, take this. <laughs> could, you imagine, could you imagine if the FBI was aware of a serious counterintelligence threat about an individual advising one of the two people who's going to be president of the United States and did nothing to act on it? Like what's frustrating about this is like as terrible as Devin Nunes is, as stupid as he is, as blatantly dishonest as he is, time and time again, the memo has been effective because now the committee's not actually investigating Russian interference. Instead, we are down these crazy rabbit holes alleging political motives for the FISA warrant and, and misconduct. And Schiff has to rebut these things constantly using information that he has to wait weeks to get declassified. It is like it is so frustrating. The the, the Schiff memo does not prove the fundamental point about collusion, but it shows that Devin Nunes is another arm of the Trump administration. Yeah, lied. That he lies. He's a liar. Lies. He just lies. It's been fascinating to watch all the conservatives who kind of walked out onto the ice with, Talking with you. Nunes. Kim Strassel. Kim Strassel, come on. Hugh Hewitt. All these guys, they walked out with Devin Nunes's. Don't worry, come with me. It's just a big, flat, open field. Come with Devin Nunes. Come with Devin Nunes. Walk with Devin Nunes on the snow of this big open field. And then Devin Nunes. Andrew McCarthy. Then Devin Nunes, stay here for a second. I'm going to go back and get something from the truck. And he walks back to the truck and all of a sudden Hugh and all these guys look down and they realize and they're on an inch of ice. So first of all, yes, obviously Devin Nunes is a liar. Obviously this, the whole theory of the memo, which was mostly rebutted by the memo itself. I know. Because oh, the, me- the Devin Nunes memo itself pointed out that the FISA warrant wasn't granted because of the Steele uh, information alone. There was also Papadopoulos. That's one. So that was already kind of the, the memo itself proved the memo as to being stupid. But now <laughs> we true. have the actual information from the actual application that makes it perfectly clear that there was nothing here to begin with. But even that is too stupid because this is all predicated on the notion that this was a a witch hunt or a partisan exercise or something that led to nothing. There have been more than a dozen 19, indictments. 19, 19 indictments. indictments. Five <laughs> guilty pleas. Five 19 guilty witches pleas. have been indicted. <laughs> it's like, Nine, it's we, like, found, we found 19 witches. Five of them have pled guilty. Really dumb move pleading guilty to a, a hoax. Yep. It's a, so, I don't, that's so, a, you need some better lawyers. So here we are. 
And what have we learned? We have learned that the application was totally reasonable. And by the way, we also don't know what was said out loud as part of all this, right? So the application was totally reasonable and pretty fucking smart because it led to one of the biggest and most important political crimes in our history, right? Exposed with guilty pleas, all leading back to the Trump campaign, which they were claiming was being targeted for partisan purposes. So The Trump campaign, by the way, who <laughs> hired Carter Page the same month that the FBI first investigated him and sat down and interviewed with him about his connections with Russia. Great vetting. And just one Great of the things thing about Carter Page, we still don't know what the actual evidence is against Carter Page. We don't know exactly no, what they anything. found. We don't know anything. But I'll tell you. Neither does Carter you, Page. He's just smiling through life. <laughs> Carter, <laughs> Carter Page, man, he thinks that you can hide under the covers and that the police can't find you there. The uh, <laughs> he's playing he's playing peekaboo. Uh, <laughs> but um, like every time you hear about what the people who looked at Carter Page saw, the people that actually saw the evidence, they are so adamant and so angry at the way this is being covered because they are looking at the actual evidence and they're like this guy is so dirty and it is so obvious yeah. how fucking dare well, you another, all the people to defend another Carter way Page. another way that you know this whole thing was never on the level is that the republican response to the shift memo from donald trump on down is basically the exact opposite of what the memo says. Like Trump tweets, the memo proves that crimes were committed against me. The memo said that the FBI didn't disclose the political nature of the dossier. Fox News just said that Schiff omitted key facts. They, they actually didn't. None of that was true. It was the opposite. Every He tweeted the opposite of what was true. And then Devin sat on it until the middle of CPAC on a Saturday to dump it out so he could immediately rebut it and say the Democrats are colluding with part of the government to cover up FBI abuses. I mean, he's an idiot. We should treat him like the joke that he is. But that's a really serious charge. And people in that room, as, as Anna will explain to you later, believe it. Yeah. It's also just like now they just like Devin Nunes just using the word collusion. Right. Like what what do you what do you mean he's colluding with the you mean he did the due diligence to investigate this the, the, as part of the committee? I mean, it is ironic, right? Because what Adam Schiff has been doing has been conducting the oversight. Adam Schiff has been in this incredibly unusual position of not only trying to investigate the Trump administration, not only trying to investigate what happened in 2016 and what happened after, He's also doing it while his own chairman is funneling information back and forth to the White House where he is kind of undermining the, the committee itself. So he is now basically I mean, this is a memo about investigating his own committee yeah. uh, and his own committee's behavior. So the actual collaboration, the actual collusion that's untoward has been what Devin Nunes and the White House have been doing for a year. And Devin never read the warrant. On which his memo was based. Of course, That's all you need to know. Why not? What? Trey Gowdy so, did. Why so, wouldn't you? I why? I mean, Devin one Nunes. person was allowed, and he was too stupid to understand it. So back in the <laughs> outsources of Trey, back in the real world, where the Trump administration is under investigation for obstruction of justice and uh, defrauding the United States, <laughs> uh-huh. um, the Wall Street Journal reports that Trump's lawyers are still trying to avoid granting Mueller an interview with Trump because they're worried the president uh, will commit a federal crime during the interview. I love is this that, story so much. This is <laughs> I, this is their argument. Go ahead. Can I just tell you guys my favorite part of the story is whoever backgrounded this little Wall Street Journal message to Mueller said it would be a travesty to waste his, Mr. Trump's time and set up a precedent which would cripple a future president. The precedent 
different issues about you know sort of what documents are protected in the White House are always an issue. But the notion that we would waste Trump's time, a man who gets into the office at 11 a.m. after spending hours a day live tweeting Fox and Friends and watching fucking TiVo'd episodes of Sean Hannity is so hilariously stupid I couldn't even take it. Woodrow Wilson worked harder after the stroke. <laughs> 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 I'm just it's just a bit ridiculous it's also <laughs> like can you get him during one of the commercial breaks for Hannity maybe like like while the gold commercial's happening tell him the cable's out yeah like, just sit him down with Mueller for five minutes he's gonna it's only gonna take five or ten minutes for him to incriminate himself <laughs> he's good. not gonna need that long also, we're good the idea that Donald Trump is worried about the precedent he's gonna set he doesn't uh, know anything about the whole, this but the, the fact that they're all and Fox News does this too now they're all using perjury trap like it's a real thing. A perjury, perjury trap, trap perjury. is that someone asks you a question and you lie. They don't lie. <laughs> we cannot. The, the special counsel is going to trick the president into telling a lie. <laughs> Did you guys listen? I don't think he needs to be tricked into doing that. He does it every day. He does it every day. Do you guys watch the Trump Gene Perot phone interview? No, he I basically saw the tweets. went ahead and skipped it. Yeah, fair, <laughs> fair. He basically calls her. And just speaks for 26 straight minutes. And she inter- interjects some words like, your approval rating is soaring. That was the form of a question. <laughs> How did you get all this done on the economy in just one year? It's like he is living in the ultimate safe space on Fox News. And the fact that he phoned it in to rebut the Nunes memo on her show of all places is amazing. Yeah. He really is in the most safest of safe spaces. I saw the other day that he, like, Brett Baer on Fox can't even get an interview with him. Like, he's now he's now just down to, like... Piro and Hannity yeah, and there's nothing like left. you know yeah he's gonna be doing it he's gonna sit down with interview with uh, with with Sarah Huckabee Sanderson <laughs> <laughs> Seth Gorka's I actually think that's like not a total <laughs> no it's probably they gonna happen do that. they would try that right to have Sarah Huckabee Sanders interview him the other thing too is just two things one yes they are worried about him lying but they are also worried about him telling the truth I made that point before and two just all of us should always keep in mind this notion should Trump sit down with Mueller shouldn't he sit down with Mueller Donald Trump is a citizen of the United States. He does not have some special right or special no. prerogative to not participate in an FBI investigation. That is not how the world works. Bill uh, Clinton participated in the investigation and sat down. Yeah. George W. Bush sat down in the Valerie Plame affair and Scooter Liberty thing. Like this they has negotiate. They use the powers of the president and the, the the threat that they might not have him go to negotiate ground rules. Fine. That's the world. That's fine. But the most dangerous precedent we could possibly set is that the president is above the law and he is not. So he will talk to Mueller. That will happen. And we have to all th- that what one thing. I th- or it will go to the Supreme Court so, so, and yeah, then the Supreme down. Court will say that he should. And then we'll have a constitutional crisis. It'll be great. But the point is, Democrats position here can't be, oh, he'll never do it. He must. He's doing it. It is the law and he will do it's it. It's got to happen. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash P-S-A. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Speaking of Democrats, let's talk about the Democratic Party. We had a Democratic convention in California this weekend. Mm, I spoke at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had like, John, you were there, right? I had the question, but I didn't even need I, to get there. I wasn't sure if you had the question. No, but that was just a non sequitur. What were you going to say? How was it? Oh, it was good. <laughs> you had a good time? Uh, it was nice to be amongst, you know, the California Dems. I had a Diet Pepsi and, you know, hit the stage. Uh, well, tell, the, you know, tell us about Railed that. against Marco Rubio and Paul Ryan, got the crowd, got the crowd pretty fired up Ghosts over it. Played the hits. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so for the for the first time, the convention did not endorse Dianne Feinstein for Senate. She lost the vote to state Senate Democratic leader Kevin DeLeon, 54% to 37%. You needed 60% to get an endorsement, so neither of them got the endorsement. Feinstein is way ahead in the public polls. However... Guess not a huge hit with the activists. What do we think's going on with this race? I don't have impressions about this. I mean, the truth is that Diane Feinstein and uh, Kevin DeLeon are not that far apart on many issues. She's pretty liberal. He is for single payer. She is not. That is very notable. She has obviously been much more of a sort of surveillance state Democrat. She's she voted for the, the Iraq War yeah. and the Intel Committee. So there's that. But on issues, I, I guess on immigration, there's a few things. But, you know, on, she was responsible for the assault weapons ban. You know, she's been very liberal on a lot of things. But also, on the other hand, she's been around a long time. And people are sort of hungry for change. So Yeah, I think three things. I think, one, uh, there are some key issues where she is not where the party is right now. Uh, immigration is one of them. I think that people... Although it's funny, I'm, she, uh, she uh, is on... Uh, I'm sorry, single-payer health care is one of yeah. what I meant to say. I also think that the legacy of her positions on national security make people uncomfortable. Yep. So that's policy on... Trump, there have been a few key moments where she could have gone harder and where I think she drew like really strong criticism saying, you're the, one of the senior Democrats in the Senate. You are from California. Why are what you, are you not, What are you doing? Yeah. And it's really frustrating. And then three, I think that there is a sense in the party that she has taken the party and the activists for granted. You know, you saw criticism of saying, oh, of course, she shows up now when she feels as though there's a primary threat. I mean, I, I don't think any of this will really ultimately matter. First of all, it is almost certainly the case that she and her primary opponent will be the two people that end up in the general election. So, Which we is very interesting that he's going to basically have a whole general election to continue to make his case. Absolutely. but We should tell people why that is, by the way. Yeah. So basically in California, they have this, this system where the top two vote getters of either party go on to the general. So the primary is sort of open. So basically, so if Dianne Feinstein gets 31% and um, his Kevin name is Kevin DeLeon gets 
gets 15 percent, but then a couple of Republicans get 10 and 9 and 8 percent. The two top vote getters are who go on to the general. So the two Democrats would go on. I think Democrats look at a state like Texas that's been reliably Republican for a long time. And they see Ted Cruz and John Cornyn, who are like far right of the party. And they look at a state like California that's been reliably liberal for a long time. Or we're going to talk about Dan Lipinski later, who's a congressman from part of Chicago. And they look at those districts or a state like California and think, why do we have a moderate Democrat? Like they want to push the party further to the left, especially among the activist base who are going to go to San Diego for a convention on a Saturday. And I, I totally get that. And it's well within their right. I think, you know, the danger is ultimately not coming together and allowing a Republican to win. But I don't think that's going to happen here in California. So I'm fine with everybody fighting it out. Yeah, make absolutely. Your case. Fight it out. You know what? Ultimately, even if she wins, this is probably going to push her to the left. Yeah. yeah. That, what I don't understand is if, if Dianne Feinstein actually has a policy objection to Medicare for all, we need to hear it. Yeah. Right. And right. if she actually has a response to the base that says she's too far to the right on national security and she has a defense of her positions, we need to hear more about it. She needs to fight that argument yeah. or move her position. I think my view is I would like to see Dianne Feinstein move to the left and have that be the outcome on that issue, race. for sure, yeah. for sure, and on national and on a lot of national security, absolutely, things too, and on healthcare. I also um, think there's a generational element of this. I, mean, I think the that. the people in the crowd chanted "Times Up" at her because of something she said in the end of her remarks, and like that's shitty given the context of Me Too and everything that's happened in the Times Up Defense Fund. But you know, she's 84 years old. I think there's a lot of people who are looking for that next generation of leaders who are, are more progressive and young and dynamic. And you know, I don't say that as a criticism of her, but I do think that's clearly coming through. I say that as a criticism of most of the Senate. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and, and like there's a lot. Like seven, a lot of seventy and eighty year olds running around the Senate. We're right being now. governed <laughs> by it's a gerontocracy. All right, I mean, it's so frustrating. Some of the thorniest issues we face is how we safeguard our election against international hackers. What the fuck does Orrin Hatch know about any of this? How's Orrin <laughs> I mean, Hatch going to get to the bottom? I don't, of I don't know what he knows about anything at this point. So one place where the top two primary system is a problem is a hard one are in the uh, California congressional races so we have a particular problem in the 39th and 49th districts the 49th is replacing Daryl Issa it's now an open seat because he's retiring <laughs> and the 39th is Ed Royce so there are too many Democrats running in both of these districts. And so at least two DCCC polls, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, um, show that in the 39th and 49th districts, it's entirely possible for two Republicans to be the top two vote getters because there's five or six or seven Democrats and they're all splitting the rest of the vote. So just to, just to make sure we understand what that means. That means you can have a situation where <clears throat> more Democrats turn out to vote in the primaries yeah. and Democratic candidates do well and get more votes than all the Republicans combined. And still, the only people that would be on the ballot in November are Republicans, which means we will have lost the seat before the candidates were even determined. So the question is, what do we do? How do you force people out of a race? Um, a lot of people have been trying to talk to some of these candidates. They've been showing them polls, some of the ones that aren't doing so well, to say, look at your polling, like try to drop out. Flip the 49th, which is one organization that's focused on ISIS district, has been like holding candidate forms. All of these people have taken the same positions. None of them are really further to the left than the other ones, so they're all sort of the same. I don't really know what you do here, but yeah. someone's people have to step up for the good of the party at some point. Right, and it can't be the DCCC because there's a lot of people that are mad at them for a variety of reasons. Which we'll get to. I think it's got to come from these candidates themselves. All the Democrats running need to get together and make a pledge that says a week out, if you're down X amount, you're dropping out. 
something like that. These guys got to come together and show some political courage and do it for the good of the party because they are going to screw us so badly if they allow egos to get in the way. March of March us is the deadline, by the way, for them to do that because if you don't drop out by March, you'll appear on the ballot. So this is fucking real. This is serious. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard to tell people that are down and you know you're talking about let's say you know sometimes in, you'll have the difference from the first place Democrat to the fourth place Democrat. You're talking about eight nine points, right? Things that people would their advisors, their friends are telling them that's surmountable. You're the best candidate. You should stay in the fight. So I don't know how you saw this before March. I don't know how much harm it does by some people staying on the ballot if they then turn around and endorse somebody else. That being said, yeah, yeah that's true. these are hum- these are people that need to get together. I don't think it can be dictated from on high. But basically, if you're running fourth, if you're running fifth, you're running third. By the time you're getting close to the end of this thing, you need to make a decision. But you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with your supporters. Yeah, you got to get out. You got to get out. And look, we can, you can tell these things in a race. It's not like we're saying they should all drop out and there should just be one left. There's always like two top people in a race, right, that are the first and second place that, that you can tell, right? And then maybe sometimes there's a third who could jump up to first. But you're right. If you're fourth or fifth in the polling and it's getting to be middle of March, like, come on. And and I this think... Is, you don't want to cost the party a seat here. You don't want to cost the party a seat. And I think Come also, back and run for something else. It's incumbent on all everyone in California that is me participating in this election, all the Democrats listening. You need to also make clear to these candidates that... I think a lot of people view running for Congress, even if you lose, as an opportunity to get my name out. Maybe I can run for a local office after, things like that. If you are a Democrat who stays in the race and you come in fifth and you make it impossible for Democrats to take back some of these crooked seven seats, you will not be celebrated in this party. You will be viewed as somebody that may have cost us the House. Yeah, It's also shitty, and I just because that sounds harsh. At the same time, it sucks that we're in this position, in part because one of the reasons this is a hard issue is it's exciting how many people are getting involved and how many people... Are participating because the energy is so high. So this is not it's a, a good totally bad. Easy it's a good issue. bad problem to have. Yes. Yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I, I know. I know. I don't want to seem like we're saying it's wrong for these people to have run. These people are taking a chance. It's a unique circumstance. Yeah. Um, speaking of the DCCC, they certainly don't mind trying to force people out of races. <laughs> so I'm talking about the DCCC in Texas. Last week, they decided to dump a bunch of opposition research, public opposition research, much of it misleading on candidate Laura Moser, who's one of seven candidates running for Congress in the Texas 7th, and potentially the front runner. I have no idea what they were thinking here. Like, And we should say, so Laura Moser is also the wife of Arun Chaudhry. He worked in the Obama White House as a videographer, so we've all worked with Arun. So the opposition research is basically two things. One, it's a quote from her. She grew up in Houston, then she moved away. And it's a quote from her saying, oh, I would never want to live in Paris. Paris, Texas, which is like 100 two miles, outside. two hours outside of Houston in a rural area. Like, she loves Houston. She grew up there. So that's one, saying, oh, she's made fun of Texas. Well, took and her they, out of context, acting like she was talking about Houston, not about Paris, which is nowhere near Houston. Yeah, that's the other thing. They actually took her out of context yeah. in the research, which is pretty bullshit. And then they said she was funneling money to her husband's firm. So obviously, she hired her husband's firm as a consultant. She has to pay them because otherwise it's an in-kind contribution. Well, also, the way this these morons, the way this works is when you pay an advertising firm, half of that money then goes back out to the TV stations or the digital ad buyers who then place your ads. So, of course, the numbers look bigger. This pisses me off on two levels. One, Laura, Arun, like Democrats... I'm fine with the DCCC picking sides and yeah. supporting people, but like, don't go after the Democratic family like that with negative ads that are this brazenly dishonest. Two, are you guys really so bad at your jobs at thinking a terrible, out-of-context, ridiculous attack like this is going to be effective? It is clearly rallying people around her candidacy. It is so 
personally and professionally stupid and offensive. And I really think they should walk it back and try to fix this before everyone completely loses faith in an organization that we actually need Democrats to support, to donate to, to look to for help as we candidates. Were, you and I, mean, I were doing the live stream last week and someone was like, oh, you know, I've been supporting Swing Left and Indivisible and should I support the DCCC too? And what about them? And, and we were trying to make the case that, yeah, you know what? They have the voter file. That's really important to candidates. We need the DCCC to be strong. And I want to be saying these things, but like what they're doing in Texas, it, look, if you don't believe she can win a general election, you can even say you, you don't believe she can win a general election. Dumping a bunch of opposition research out there is not something you do unless the person is seriously, seriously problematic. What What did they think their reason for... What was their goal they of think doing she this? can't win a general election. They are telling people that she's too liberal to win a general election. Now, there's other candidates in the race who are about as liberal or have kind of the same positions that Laura has, but she has been, you know, up in the polls and she's getting close to the front runner. The front runner is supported by the DCCC and Emily's list also seems like a perfectly fine Democrat, but they just don't, they don't think Laura can win. But to say we don't think she can win and here's why, and then to just make these two ridiculous arguments, that's the real problem. If be, if there's other research out there, if there's other things you know, then be honest about that, but don't go do this. <laughs> it's also right, like every there is such a... There's an expectation on the part of a lot of activists that the Triple C is beholden to a notion about what it means to be electable, you know, that is a, right. that is as twenty five or thirty years old and can't be trusted to get behind the people that the base wants, can't be trusted to think that the enthusiasm that we see across the country is enough to harness to win elections, even if these are candidates that are maybe more to the left than, than those in the yeah. past. And they're just ready to pounce on that and this gives into that. But meanwhile, in Illinois, they have not made a decision on whether or not to not endorse Dan Lipinski, who's a congressman who's probably the most conservative Democratic congressman out there, voted against Obamacare, pro-life, voted the wrong way on immigration, has voted like the wrong way on Democratic issue after Democratic issue. Not small stuff. <laughs> not like I'm personally pro-life, but I'm not. No, he is super, super conservative for a Democrat. He refused to endorse Obama's re-election in 2012. Yeah, I mean, like, he's, <laughs> Dan Lipinski sucks. Let's sucks. be clear. <laughs> Dan Lipinski is terrible. But what's annoying is like Politico got this so wrong because they wrote up like, the DCCC declined to endorse Dan Lipinski, the type of blue dog they need in this election. Well, maybe, but not in this district. You right. don't need like a suburban Chicago district that's one third Latino. You don't need a Dan Lipinski who just barely has said he's going to vote for the Dream Act if it comes to the floor, but he won't co-sponsor it. Like, we don't need Dan Lipinski's in the party. It's yeah. okay to push him. We're going to try to beat Peter Roskam in the Chicago suburbs. We're going to we have a couple Republicans we're picking off there. By, we don't need him there. By the way, just on Dan Lipinski, like his dad served in the House for 20 years. He won his primary and then retired so that he could hand the nomination to his kid, who's since won primaries and general elections. But like, this was pretty much the least democratic way to get a nomination there is. And Dan Lipinski's primary opponent, Marie Newman, she was endorsed by Kirsten Gillibrand. She's great. So Angie we have a good challenger there. And Jane Chukowski, member of the DCCC. Hey, maybe this district will have a rep that's not fucking terrible. <laughs> hey, DCCC, get your shit together. <laughs> get your shit together. Do you remember when I gave you $100 for that Montana thing? <laughs> Whatever happened with that? Feels like a long time ago. <laughs> get My your God. shit together. Yeah. And I don't want to get annoying emails from the DCCC and be like, oh, here's what really happened. No, tell everyone what really yeah, happened. Actually, we don't. Be public about we're it. We're sick of getting the best arguments in our emails. <laughs> just, yeah, right, right. Come on. Um, okay, when we come back, we will be talking to Anna Marie Cox about CPAC. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. 
If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. On the pod today, we have the host of With Friends Like These, Anna Marie Cox. Anna, welcome. Hello, it is good to be back. You have returned from CPAC. Yes. Now, I know you've gone many years to CPAC to report on that event. Uh, Anything different this year? Anything notable? What were your first impressions of this esteemed gathering? It is a lot more white supremacy uh, than it used to be. (laughs) You know, I've been going since 2004, and I would say for the most part, it actually has been somewhat fun to cover, not because of the, you know, orgies and young conservative like hookups, but because it it tended to be like really earnest young libertarians for the most part. And I have a libertarian streak and, you know, they they might say stuff I disagree with, but they're for the most part, you know, like 80% of the people there were in college. And even if they're wrong, they kind of mean well. It was really hard to find a lot of cynicism, and they tended to be pretty socially liberal for the most part. It's always had like a log cabin Republican contingent and, you know, very pro-legalizing marijuana at the very least. Sometimes actually the libertarian side is pro-legalization of every drug. Yeah. So for the most part, like I've found it to be, while there is like a, there's always been a fringe there and there's always been an NRA presence there and there's always been you know, some kind of people who would say things that are coded as racist, you would have to look for those people. And this year you didn't have to look for them. Uh, This year they felt, they felt pretty comfortable. I I talked to two people who I interviewed for the show that, you know, the complete interviews at at some point, they were just like straight up racist. I mean, one of them was a Pepe pen wearing guy who argued that white people founded America. Why shouldn't they run it? Um, Another was a a young woman who told me that she thinks we need to be realistic about race. And I said, does that mean she's for an ethno-state solution? And she said, no, that she didn't think that would work practically, but she did want a white supermajority. 
in previous years, those people would have had the good sense to be embarrassed. And they weren't. They weren't this year. Yeah, they certainly feel empowered. I mean, the, the one of the more egregious examples, Anna, was this guy, uh, I forget his last name, Ian something, who said on stage essentially that uh, Michael Steele was chosen as the RNC chair because he was African-American. And as deplorable as that comment was, what was shocking to me is that Michael Steele then went on and did an interview with a guy named Matt Schlapp, who's a big conservative leader, who essentially said to him, what he said was wrong, but you upset a lot of people with the way you've talked about Trump, as if to say that somehow justified that racist comment. What, what was your take on that? I know you know all these people. Yeah, I, I know Michael Steele. He's been on the show, my show. Um, Matt Schlapp actually runs uh, the American Conservative Union, which is the group that puts on CPAC. So he's not yeah. just a big conservative. He's the guy in charge of CPAC. Exactly, exactly. Um, and, I, and from what I gather, he didn't just say you upset people with the way that you talked about Trump, but he said, and your leadership of the RNC was bad, right? too. So he like doubled, so he actually kind of turned it around and was like, yeah. Yeah, he told him to show some grace, which was cute. Right, and... Again, I, I don't think that would have happened in previous years. God bless Michael Steele. Uh, last time I talked to him, he said he still considered himself a Republican. I'll be, you know, I think I'm going to have to have him on the show again. <laughs> yeah. Because um, those were the people that were there that, you know, it was a crowd that booed uh, someone talking about the beauty of a, a naturalization ceremony. It was a crowd. The only boos that I heard that were booing against the speaker was when Mona Charon said that Republicans were hypocrites for protecting Trump. So oh, most yeah. Of the booze, well, she had the audacity yeah. to criticize a child molester. So Right. You know, I heard, yeah, yeah, I heard the Roy Moore thing got booed, too. Boo! We don't want to hear things yep. we know are true. We know, we know, but boo, boo, oh. please boo. Oh. There was actually a chant of not true yeah. that went up when she was talking about Roy Moore. This is the complete Trumpification of CPAC, which is something, I'll be honest, like when we were talking before I went, I was defending CPAC to some of the staffers here because I, I have found it to be mostly kind of idealistic and earnest. And, and yeah, there's a sideshow, but, you know, these are actually the kids that might be able to do something about the Republican Party. And I was profoundly disturbed. Some people are going to be like, oh, well, you know, like CPAC's always that way. And you... But it was different. It was really different. For As someone who's covered the Republican movement for 15 years, I've never seen it take over this, what used to be kind of one of the pillars of the movement. Not the mainstream, I would say. Like, CPAC's never been mainstream. But it was definitely, like, a place where you went to talk about ideas, and it was definitely a place where you went to talk about the future of the party. And I, I did not expect a Trump rally, and it was a Trump rally. Aside from Mona Charon, like, were there any speakers or any attendees who were critical of Trump, critical of the Republican Party, critical of what the conservative movement has become? Like, did you find any of that? Yeah, yeah, I did. And and those people were not that hard to find either. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to a young woman uh, who was from actually University of Alabama, and she told me that she considered Trump a s- sexual harasser and that she was a never Trump person. And that she thought the Republican Party had lost a lot of ground in, in being hypocritical on these issues. She actually said some of the things that Mona Charon said. And then I said, well, what should the Republican Party do about Trump? And she said, oh, well, he is our president. <laughs> that yeah. is brutal. That's sort of like the problem in a nutshell there. Like there was criticism of Trump. But even Mona Charon, I think, wouldn't go so far as to say we should somehow you know, impeach him or get rid of him or change the party or not vote Republican. Oof. What was the reception to uh, 
Wayne LaPierre and all of the uh, gun stuff. Oh, it's worshipful. I mean, absolutely worshipful. One of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in my time covering politics, including the Trump era, including all Trump rallies, including all CPACs, was actually when Trump did a Insta poll of the crowd (laughs) about whether or not they'd prefer their tax cuts or their gun rights. And they were pretty vocal about their gun rights. I think it surprised even him. Well, they know they're not really multinational do. corporations. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hope someone tells Paul Ryan that. He'll be so disappointed. Yeah, I know. I also loved, Anna, how Trump was tweeting some of the instant polls out of CPAC, where he has a 93% approval rating among the farthest right wing of the entire country, but only half of them think he should be tweeting as much as he is, and he, and he thought that was hilarious, he said. <laughs> LOL, from Donald Trump. It's from his friends, you know? <laughs> yes, but he's like, half of us think maybe you should chill out with this, but, you know, take it how you will. <laughs> Are there people there at CPAC who, like, if Trump exits the scene, there are going to be other leaders? Like, who are the leaders of this movement now, since clearly the conservative movement has undergone quite a transformation over the last couple of years? Well, I think it's really interesting. Another thing that changed at CPAC this year, it used to be a a regular stop for presidential aspirants. Mm -hmm. And none of the traditional aspirants were there. I actually, one of the saddest things I saw at CPAC was Ted Cruz, <laughs> former CPAC straw poll winner, walked through the lobby of the hotel, followed by literally ones of people. You know? <laughs> I That's love awesome. That. That's the best news of all the I whole hope day. you got footage of that. <laughs> I did take a picture. Beautiful. Um, so he's someone that in an alternate universe would probably have gotten, would probably have won the straw poll. Perhaps, yeah. you know, at least been a contender and would have been speaking on the main stage for, to a rapt audience. Um, as it was, if you ask the young people there who the leaders of the conservative movement were, I have, I have terrible news. Or I don't know, maybe it, it depends. Ben Shapiro. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I mean, the bad news is I think he's not a particularly inspirational person. Uh, he tends to just, he's kind of a performance artist along the lines of Ann Coulter. And that's maybe the good news, too, is I don't think there's a lot there there. But then again, we've now learned there doesn't need to be. Right. You know, he did say like one sentence critical of Trump, though. So a, I guess that's a good sign. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he still feels like he needs to do that once in a while. Yeah. He knows his crowd, basically. Oh, man. Any other good stories? Any other funny stories? I was so taken aback. I mean, I guess I, I spent you know my first response like talking about that, but. CPAC used to be something that I at least found a lot of energy at, uh, for better or for worse. And I also compared, so the last CPAC I went to was in 2016, where Trump didn't speak, and uh, he was presumed to be going to lose, right? And that was probably the most energetic CPAC I'd been to in a while. Like, I talked to a lot of people at that event who were perversely optimistic they felt like you know this is going to be our chance to take back the conservative movement trump's going to lose hillary's going to win she's a great foil and we're going to you know rebuild our intellectual foundation (laughs) and this is going to be (laughs) i know (laughs) right yeah for almost a moment i felt bad for them (laughs) but that's so true how much more fun would seatback it have been if hillary been president my god the locker ups (laughs) they did that anyway though they were locker up chance anyway yeah but it doesn't feel this which they don't even seem to understand (laughs) is like just nonsensical you know i mean it and, and there's so much lack, there's the lack of self-awareness, which I guess I'd say another thing that I used to appreciate about CPAC is that because it's like young college students, and again, used to be kind of libertarian sort of leaning, mm. there was like a sort of a sense of humor and some self-awareness. Yeah. And this is like, 
These are just, you know, MAGA hat wearing snowflakes. Like, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Trump bots, and it was disturbing as to someone who, you know, I was kind of a, a little like riot girl, punk rocker teen, and to see like the uniforms of blue blazers and red hats, and like I call the the girls wearing kind of church but slutty outfits. <laughs> You know, there's always a sort of uniformity there, but to see it kind of like in such mass form and the thinking to be so uniform, I guess that's actually, I shouldn't make fun of how people look. The thinking was pretty uniform too. And I think CPAC in the past, I was, you could rely on a kind of hearty booing section from the Rand Paul people, the Ron Paul people who they would boo anything that was anti-immigration. They would boo anything that was like, you know, drug law related. And this year it was just, just the group think that is disturbing, not just because you hate to see young people all thinking alike, but because it makes you think, oh, so this is never going to end. Man. This is it. <laughs> well, it's almost <laughs> as if subset of our population has given in to an authoritarian impulse and found it quite satisfying to, uh, give into that current together right just stop trying to sail in the other direction and, and instead of bucking <laughs> it the dc establishment the match slaps and the ben shapiro's of the world who build their business and their political influence and get paid off of this conservative organization trump has helped them identify their base and better cater to it rather than reject a goddamn word they say or be the intellectuals they claim to be it is ugly yeah and it's also you it's it just goes to show too that they don't need they don't need to be out of power to still have an enemy and to whip up the populist furor, whether it's the NRA or yeah. Trump or Matchlap or any of these people. There's always an elite coming after you. There's always some, you know, powerful group of people on mm-hmm. the left who are trying to like squash your freedom. Like it doesn't change whether you ha- whether you're are. winning and you're in power or not. It's a fucking con, you know? Yeah. It, the whole thing's I mean, it always is a little bit of a con, CPAC. Like it always is kind of a little bit it's literally also like i think where the acu like gets all of its money is from putting this on it doesn't exist to do much else right and this just felt like a group of people who were i guess you know you can't fool an honest man these are a group of people who are happily being conned right <laughs> it's entertaining like they loved it they ate up every minute of it and the crowd is just it's the loudest sound is them clapping themselves on the back you know like they they invent an enemy and then defeat it in their minds right right that's exactly there's so sort of good news here which is that they are not prepared for an actual people's resistance to what they're doing they do not understand what they are up against they clearly think it's like a soros funded scam on on our part they don't understand that it's like everyday people that cannot stand what's happening yeah. That it's not like just people who are being paid to think however they do. It's not just it's not just protesters. You know, again, I'm looking for my check. If you guys know where it is, you know, it, it's it's not an invention. That this is actually a grassroots phenomenon. That people are pissed about what's happening to their country, and I think that can serve us. I, I really think so do. too. No, I, I was going to say that's the best news out of the whole conference. I think so. Anna, thank you for uh, giving us this dispatch from CPAC. <laughs> and uh, I can't wait for your episode where you're going to have all the audio. Too. Throw one more book on the fire for us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Thanks for calling in. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, guys. Bye. All right, guys. That's our show for today. Sign up for What a Day. Sign up for the newsletter, cricket.com. Oh, and send in your portraits, your Trump portraits. <laughs> and also, Dan's off this week, so you get us again on Thursday. That's right. I wanted that to be a surprise. <laughs> 
Why? I don't know. I don't Maybe really it's a surprise for the people who didn't listen all the way to the outro. Mm. Oh. All right. Uh, have fun, Dan. It'd be more of a surprise, except we have incredible commitment to the full episode from our listeners. It's true. We do. We people do. listen all the way to the end. Pat ourselves on the back, just like the CPAC people. <laughs> Bye, everyone. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.